Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. We release episodes on Friday mornings. You can keep up with us on Facebook or on our webpage, both linked in the description below. I hope you enjoy this episode. had been on a roller coaster of emotions. After 430 years, they finally were able to escape their captivity in Egypt, not empty-handed, but laden with Egypt's riches, right? Then they were trapped against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army and mountainous terrain, thinking that they were going to either be killed or taken back to slavery. But God, as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, opened up the sea and led them through the waters of death on dry land to life resurrected on the other side. Isn't that a great picture? I'm finished. I'm worried about the tree. Oh, thank you. You did that. Yeah. Well, going from that triumph, you would think that they would fear nothing, but humanity is forgetful, and the Israelites were no different. When faced with no water or food, they grumbled against their God, saying it was better for them in Egypt. Still, God miraculously provided things for them, not just for a day, but 40 years consistently. They were learning who their God is, right? Because they didn't know. And so this kind of review from even last time, right? He remained close to us. Wanting to bring us close to himself so that we can know him. He still does this today with you and me. God called Moses to come visit with him on his mountain, on God's mountain. Moses obeyed. He is calling you to him daily to meet with him. What's your answer? The benefits are tangible and eternal. Okay, so let's go to Exodus 19. This is a good chapter. And somebody read uh, 1 through 6 of Exodus 19. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. Sinai. Mm -hmm. After breaking camp at they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain and to appear before God. The Lord called him, called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I, I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be, be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to your, the people of Israel. Okay. Does that sound like any New Testament scriptures? Yeah. It totally <laughs> does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So... Out of relationship, God calls Israel to come into covenant with him. A covenant is a legally binding agreement. That is what heaven is all about, a legal system. If you can follow all the law, the Torah 613 commandments, let alone the Ten Commandments, 
and you can legally enter into God's holy presence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yet, as James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. So, wow, it's unattainable, right? And that's why we were desperately in need of a Savior. God gave the commandments to show the people what was right and wrong, to give them standards. However, God knew they could never live up to them. That's why Adam and Eve, uh, right after sin entered the picture, he showed Adam and Eve how to offer the blood of an innocent sacrifice so that they could be near to him. He wanted to keep his people close to himself, but he is holy and cannot change. The sacrifices covered the people's sin so he could come near them. This was his solution. And if you'll notice, you know, the first one, remember when Adam and Eve were naked and they had the fig leaves? And the fig leaves was their idea. How much is fig leaves? How long are they going to remain? <laughs> I mean, really, you sew fig leaves together? Yeah. yeah. In their own best effort, it would never work. <laughs> and so what did God do? He gave them the skin of animals, but he had to kill the animals to give them the skin. And if you'll notice, from Adam and Eve, then the first sacrifice was made, right? And uh, after them, remember Cain and Abel, they were offering sacrifices to the Lord, you know, and they knew what to offer and what not to, you know, and they still messed it up, yeah. Uh, and then before the law, Abraham, well, even before Abraham, Noah, Remember when they got off the ark and what was the first thing they did? Offered sacrifices to the Lord, you know? And then Abraham, when he met with Melchizedek, you know, he offered sacrifices to the Lord. All these happened before the law ever came to be. So it didn't start with the law. It started with Adam and Eve as soon as sin entered the picture because God always wanted to be dear to his people. It's all, always, it's always ever been about relationship. Ever. Right? So initially the sacrifices were just to keep them close to God because that was just... It was, it was a way that he could cover their sins so he could come near them. I mean, in the people's eyes, it was something that they always did, so they mm -hmm. just continued to do it. Right. Because they wanted to be near him. They needed his insight. Um, but, yeah. So that's what they did. In, in the Jewish eyes, uh, Jewish people's eyes, they see Adam as being uh, the first priest because he would offer sacrifices. And God told him uh, how to do it, taught him. Well, that's what I was just going to say. With that picture there, after God did it initially, then they started offering mm -hmm. the sacrifices. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering where the knife came from. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it would have been out of bone. You know? I don't know. Because the first uh, metallurgy was uh, tumor cane, which was um, 2,000 years later. Yeah. <laughs> it took a little while. So sacrifices would have to be offered every day because the people sin every day, right? The covenant commandments of the Israelites displayed the foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that God would offer himself on our behalf. 
Until then, the Israelites were God's representatives on earth. So God calls for Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart for him. They were to offer sacrifices both for themselves and the other nations before him, interceding on their behalf so he could bring as many as possible to himself and rescue them. That was why they were to be a kingdom of priests, right? Um, that's always his heart to rescue. God first gave the Israelites the authority to partner with him to bring about this desire. Now he has given it to us, to you and me. And that's what we see in the New Testament. Paul echoes that in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You know what? We were like, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> so it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are evangelizing and we are interceding going and being a mediator between God and the people. That's what we're called to, right? Intercessory prayer. Yeah, and you know what? The thing is, is I remember I used to think that looked weird, okay? Because I would see people who would call themselves intercessors and they'd be doing some really weird stuff. And I'd be like, oh, you know? And so what I finally discovered you know, is it doesn't have to look like that. What it really is, is, is where you're just meeting with God. That's all. And you are, um, the best way is to even go without an agenda. You don't have to go in with an agenda. Um, you can. You can go and say, okay, I'm praying about this, Lord. I'm bringing this before you. And that, that's fine. But there's other times where you come with, you come to him and with him so many times, you, you've already done all that. And so then you don't have anything else. Then you just don't have, a, you have a clean agenda. And I've learned when, uh, and I'll, I'll do this now when people ask me to pray. My first question to the Lord is, okay, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? What's your heart in this? I want to pray in that way. I want to agree with your heart whatever that is, you know? And when we do that, he is, he's thrilled with that. He is thrilled with having someone who will partner with him um, because he, could he do it all by himself? Yeah. <laughs> Does he need us to do anything? Uh, no. But out of relationship, he chooses to limit himself so that he brings us into the equation. And so he doesn't do things unless someone comes into agreement with him. And, and you're just like, wow, really? Wow, you're looking for that? Um, and, and sometimes you will think, he will show you things that he wants to do that you would not have expected. And uh, and he'll ask you, will you agree with me in that? 
And, and the answer is always, well, yes, Lord. <laughs> Have your desire in that situation, you know? But he enjoys um, bringing people into the mystery, you know, sharing the secret. Uh, he enjoys that. And it would be like us if you had, um, like, a close friend or a child or um, a, a husband or a wife that you wanted to share something with, share a piece of your heart that you wouldn't even with other people. But it, it's such an intimate thing that you only share it with just a few people, right? It's like that. And he's looking for someone to partner to intercede. That's what that is um, to bring it about. Uh, in fact, if you wanted to look more into that, there's this beautiful word. And it, in Hebrew, it's sowed. And it looks like it would be sod, okay? But it's not. <laughs> um, and what sowed is translated to mean many times is assembly, uh, a council. Not like I'm counseling somebody, but like a council of uh, leaders. Uh, what? Yes, a noun, not a verb. Um, but it, what it really means, the asode is the inner circle of friends that are advisors to the king. And so who's the king that we're talking about? Yeah. And so he is wanting us to be a part of his inner circle, his sode. And, and it's not because we're all that. Because, no, <laughs> it's not that. Uh, he is, yes. But what it is about, you know, I was talking to Stephen, uh, my son, I think it was yesterday. I think it's foggy. But um, we were talking about how God is not looking for uh, the specially trained. Um, he's not looking for the uh, especially talented the skilled, you know, because those people think they can do it on their own. He's looking for the ones that just give him a yes. They don't have anything else. They just give him a yes, and they do whatever he says to do. That was Moses. In fact, it, what it says about him, he was the meekest man on earth. Now, meek means he had a lot of power, but it wasn't his own power. It was the power of God with him. But he had it under control, right? Um, and we're in that same place more than we realize because we have all the authority of heaven and earth. Jesus came to get it, and he, he died to give it to us. He's already given it to us. All the authority of heaven and earth is at our disposal. That's mind-boggling. My brain cannot get around that. You know, and it, but the, praise God, it doesn't have to because he's behind it, not me, you know. And so this is, we are chosen people. Why did God choose Israel? They were weak. They were small. They couldn't do it on their own. And he always goes for the least. <laughs> he goes for the underdog. Yes. Yes. And so I'm an underdog. 
Okay. <laughs> Praise God. I came from a family that you would not think anything would ever come from. You know, um, I came from a childhood that did not equip me for anything. I mean, I'm just being so real. But the thing is, is he is with me. You know, it talks about in Acts chapter 4 that, you know, it was Peter and John, and they were uneducated men, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. That's our power. Amen? And that's what it's about. Just go be with him. And that's what this is talking about. Just go visit what Moses did. Made him, like, the superpower, you know. In fact, Superman literally was patterned after Moses, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So, yeah. Anyway, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people. I was once not a person. You know, we all were. But now you are the people of God. You are not received, uh, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. As the Israelite, the Israelites interceded for the nations, other others would join them in their covenant with God. This has always been his intention. This is why in Revelation 1. 5 and 6, and then in Revelation 5, 9, and 10, it speaks of this at the end time, saying, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us into a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. And then Revelation 5, 9, and 10, hey, it says, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you, talking to Jesus, to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered, and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priest to our God. And what will they do? They will reign upon the earth. Why are we going to reign upon the earth? Because whose authority do we have? It's our dominion. Yes. And so we have have all the authority of heaven and earth, and we all have a sphere of influence. All of us do. And so what are we supposed to go after first? Well, our people that's in front of us, right? That's who we go after first. Because you remember when uh, the Holy Spirit uh, came upon the people at Pentecost, what were they supposed to do? Where were they supposed to go first? Well, but they were supposed to start, yes, in Jerusalem, and then go into Judea, and then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you're looking at a map, then Jerusalem is where they were at that moment. And then Judea was like the county. And then Samaria was like, if you drive 30 minutes away, okay? And then to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we're supposed to do. 
We don't have to worry about all this whatever. We just go to who's right in front of us, right? And we reign on the earth. Adam and Eve, they were supposed to subdue the earth and rule over it. All they did is they met with God in the cool of the day, and God gave them instructions, and they did. It doesn't have to be so hard. Amen? It's simple. So these verses tell us that kings, we are to be kings and priests to who? To our God, right? That's what every one of them are saying. We do this by turning away from our understanding of how to do things because we don't know what we're doing anyway, right? And intentionally turning toward God to do things his way, allowing him to have his heart's desire. When we don't know what to do, it looks like just sitting with him and asking him what's in his heart to do in a situation. As we learn to do this, we become more and more in tune with him in his ways until we become one with him in his desires. Then we learn to treasure his commandments and our interceding for others becomes much more effective. He gives you his authority on the earth to bring things about. This partnering with him and using his authority helps us to reign upon the earth hooking on to God's promises and releasing them to the earth. Now, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we represent him to the earth. Be mindful of that and represent him accurately. Amen? Amen. All right. He is offering incense before the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, they did that because they wanted it to be so smoky that I couldn't see them. They couldn't see their sin. So, and it is like, okay, so the pictures that I actually have there, I have for a reason, you know. And the reason why is he's offering incense before the Lord. In Revelation uh, 5, it talks about that when we offer intercession, our prayers to him, it is a sweet aroma. It's incense that's going up to him. And it's the bowls uh, of the saint, the prayers of the saints. And so when we are interceding, we are sending that up to God, you know? And so we're being priests, whether we realize it or not, we are. That was a cool picture too. And he is having to, you can see his hands, he's adding um, like spices. Uh -huh. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Uh, cough. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's adding things to the fire to bring that incense, right? And that was located right in front of the veil. Now he's behind the veil, uh, but yeah. We're presenting to God. And now there is no veil because it has been torn. So it doesn't matter. Right. So let's go back to um, Exodus 19. And somebody read 7 through 9. 
So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders and the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Isn't it great that I love how God is backing Moses up? Mm-hmm. You know, because he didn't have to speak to him that way. He'd already spoken to him, already told him all the stuff. But then he's like, yep, but for your benefit, so they'll trust you. I'm going to thunder it. I'm going to do all this. You know? Yeah. I love that. All right, so somebody read Exodus 19, 10 through 15. Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare, prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. As all the people watch, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Watch, warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundary. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. The hand I touch, no hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down to the people, consecrated them for worship, and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day, and until then, abstain from having sexual intercourse. Right, so the Lord, the Lord told Moses exactly how to prepare to get ready. Yeah, yeah. So uh, somebody read 16 through 20. about on the third day when it was morning that there arose thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. All right. So that's like pretty impressive. But you know, praise God, God had told him the day before, okay, I'm going to come like a big thick cloud. You know, <laughs> and, you know, every time throughout all of this, then we have seen God would tell Moses, I'm going to do this, expect this, be ready for this. And so it didn't take him by surprise. What form is he taking? He, here, he is a big, thick storm cloud. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's a, such a great description because it's powerful, um, it is encompassing. It is, um, you know, from it lightnings and thunders, 
um, it, he is emphasizing his power in this mm -hmm. moment. Do people hear his voice or just Moses? They, they hear thunderings. And do you know that that's throughout the Bible? Um, there's lots of different places where uh, the people will hear him speak and they will think it's thunder when it's actually him speaking. Uh, some examples of that. Um, Paul, when he was uh, meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus, the men who were with Paul heard thunder. But Paul understood what Jesus was saying. Yeah. Um, another time, um, Jesus, and this time he's not seen very much. It's in John where um, he is at a feast day and there's some Greek people who are coming to ask about him. And God speaks to him um, from the sky, you know. Uh, like when he was baptized, you know, and like on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is the third time that God speaks to him audibly like that. And the people heard thunder, um, but you know, there were just a few who understood. Um, that happens a few times. Somebody, he doesn't come to the church here anymore, but he told me that he was in a situation where he heard God speak, but the people around him, all they heard was thunder. Can you imagine the um, the awe of the people, wonder and awe, and and you would think, okay, reverential fear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the thing is, I don't have a picture of it. I don't know why I didn't put a picture of this in here. Duh. But anyway, I can bring it next time. But um, literally, I know a lot of you have seen it. That mountain is still charred on top. The whole top of it is black. Um, you know, and it, it totally uh, metamorphosized uh, the rock that's up there because it's a light colored mountain and then it's black on top. And it's not a shadow. It, it just is that because God was on top of that. Yeah, it would be like him to do that though because he left a lot of the things there because he wanted he wants to be known. He wants people to see, yes, I was here. You know? We're here on 16. Um, is, is there any significance that it was the third morning? The morning you know what? The third day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, the third is always, the third day is always a, a thing because uh, it's the first day of creation that was doubly blessed. You know, that was the day um, that they have weddings on traditionally. Uh, the third day, because it's definitely blessed. Uh, you know, Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Jonah was spit out of the, the great fish on the third day. Um, I mean, it just is on and on and on. It's a pattern. But, yeah, I don't think there's anything to stake in there. No story here. Well, because all the other stuff came later. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, it, but I mean, it started at creation too. But yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, kind of there too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go to um, verse twenty-one through twenty-five. 
the Lord told Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. But Lord, Moses protested, The people cannot climb up to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, Mark off a boundary all around the mountain to set it apart as holy. But the Lord said, Go down and bring Aaron back up with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people break through to approach the Lord, or he will break out and destroy them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. You know that uh, that one mountain in particular, the boundary, some of the boundaries is still there. Um, it, it's, uh, it's called Alan Rawls. You can look it up. I don't know why I did not put pictures in here of that. Uh, Al Rawls, and it's Mount Sinai of Arabia. Those places where well, we probably got the reason why that we couldn't see God's face or we die. Well, we're we're going to go into that, not in this lesson, but that's what I'm talking about. That's not a shadow. That's that's actually where he was on top of that mountain. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, it's Jabal, Jabal Al Walls is the name of it. There's a lot there. Anyway, uh, that would have been maybe 3,000 years ago or something. That's that would have been in 1500 BC. Around in that, that time period. Yeah, yeah, those boundary markers are still, are there. still there. That's that just blows my mind. I know, right? <laughs> and they were probably what stone? They were. They were stone. The altar is still there for the golden calf. Um, yeah. Uh, with big, it's a, it's kind of a conglomeration of rocks, and then it still has bulls uh, that are uh, like hieroglyphs on it. Uh, but yeah, you can look this stuff up on YouTube. Look it up, go and Google, and you'll find it. Um, the uh, where the tabernacle stood. No, that's in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> no, but um, we'll look it up. yeah, we'll look it up. <laughs> that would be cool, though. We are going to go to a place though that um, has. The, the tabernacle stood for four, uh, 400 years in Israel. It's Shiloh. Um, there we are going. Yeah. And that would have been a tent? Uh -huh. And they called it sometimes the tent of meeting. So, yeah, same thing. All right. So, let me show you. God has prescribed things. To be done in certain ways because it's the only way to keep his people safe. He is holy. Uh, and holy simply means set apart. That's all it means. Um, if the people had come near him in an imperfect state, 
destruction would surely come upon them. So God tells them to consecrate themselves. Consecrate comes from the Hebrew word kadash. It's very close to kadosh, which is holy. But kadash meaning to prepare, dedicate, be separated, and to devote oneself to being holy. The ancient Hebrew pictographs to those letters tell us more about it. Kadash is uh, this, those symbols, with uh, the kuv meaning to turn toward, because it's to turn the back of the head, so you're turning toward something. Uh, you're turning toward the dalit. And that one, it looks like a little, almost like a box, but it's a tent door. So it's fabric, and so you can throw it up, and it's a tent door, right? A dalit is a door, and this is sheen, and it can, uh, it can be teeth, it can be destruction, it can be fire, but it can also be God's one-letter signature, and he loves to use it. It is shorthand. It is a shorthand, yes, good way to put it. But uh, if you're looking at a, um, at a mezuzah, mezuzah is, uh, you know, the little uh, boxes they put in their door frames. And they all have, this is a modern uh, sheen. They all have a sheen on them, every single one of them. And it's God's one letter signature. If you're looking at the valleys and the mountains of Jerusalem, you have a sheen. It's God's one letter signature, right? So, Kadash, it can mean, um, it's telling us God is telling them how to turn toward the door that leads to him so that they are not destroyed. And that's to be consecrated and dedicated to him. Kadash. So part of the scripture says that part of the consecration is to bathe and how to prepare. And it's so important. I can think offhand of another that you're like, oh, wow. Okay, do you remember the one guy, his name was like Uzzah, and he was just trying to steady the ox cart that they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on, and then as soon as he touched it to try to keep it from falling, he fell over dead? Okay, it wasn't that God was being mean. What happened was, okay, for one thing, it was never supposed to be on an ox cart. That was not God's prescribed way of doing things. The priest were, it's always supposed to be born. It's, it's supposed to be carried. You carry the ark. You carry the presence. You don't put it on an ox cart, right? And so we carry it. It's a picture. It's what we, we hold. We carry it, you know? And, and that's really important. And so... If, if Uzzah or Uzzah had been carrying it, if he'd been a Levite, then he would have been fine. But he, he didn't. And so I'm just saying what you don't know sometimes can really hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or kill you, yes. And so um, that's kind of what's going on here even with the Israelites. Because if they had went to the mountain at this time, then they would have been stoned shot through with an arrow or whoever, what else would have happened to them? It wouldn't have been good, right? 
All right, so let's look at this, we're, we're gonna know. You have heard this and heard this. Exodus 20, we're starting into the next chapter. So somebody read verses one through 17. Andrea. Very familiar. Right. <clears throat> what is 20? One, uh -huh. 1 through 17. And God gave, all, gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt because of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not take, you must not make for yourself an idol or any kind or, or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I will lay the sins of the parents upon your children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, then you will live in a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, so the first five commandments, they tell us how to interact with God. And then the last five tell us how to interact with others. They have to come in that order. It's only when we come close to God that we're equipped to represent him well to others. And I, I, I brought that picture, and you really can't see it that clearly. But uh, it's with the Paleo Hebrew. I just thought that was fun. <laughs> It'll probably make more sense to us. Yeah. Because we've, we've uh, studied that. That's kind of cool. Because <laughs> that's what uh, it would have been in Moses' time, is Paleo Hebrew. A pictograph. And that's the only thing. What is that last part? It's only when we come close to God. We can't do it otherwise. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, that's just it. The whole list of do's and don'ts. Yes, we need to know what is right and wrong. But that's not our focus. The list of do's and don'ts is not our focus. It can't be. And the, and the reason why is whatever we focus on, that's what we're most likely going to do. Because if you keep it in front of you all the time, you're going to be doing it because it's in your thoughts all the time. But if we're focused on God, you know what? He will change us into who he wants us to be. 
So it's much more about relationship than religion. Because religion is not where it's at. It's about relationship. When we have the Ten Commandments and we know we're not going to always, you know, yeah. So it's, he's going to forgive us if we ask for forgiveness and for change. So being focused on the, the do's and the don'ts, right. like you said, it's secondary. Exactly. Because, yeah, I remember I heard an analogy of this one time, and I was like, I so get that. Okay. Talking about a fisherman. And a fisherman, he, he gets his fish that he gets out of the lake or the river or whatever, the ocean. And he's so proud. He's taking pictures with his fish, and, and they're smelly and gross and right out of the water, okay? <laughs> and he doesn't care because he's got them. Right? Well, God's like that. He takes us. We're the smelly fish. You know? He doesn't care. He's just happy he has us. And then, you know what? As we go with him and we become more and more like him and we're transformed because we have been in his presence, then he cleans us up. And we don't really have to focus on it. We just focus on him. And he does the rest. Amen? So let's go to uh, Exodus 20. And so somebody read 18 through 21. And the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn. And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will, will keep you from sinning. So the people stood at a di in the distance. Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Moses wasn't afraid. He was like, I'm going. Like, right? you, you go talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I got to back up. Okay. So on number 12, I had a friend to tell me, um, verse 12, honor your father and your mother, and told me that that was the first commandment that had a blessing attached to it. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah, it's true. At the same time, though, honoring, um, there, it, uh, yeah, there, there is some. <laughs> No, it doesn't say love, and it doesn't say obey. No. Because uh, what it is saying is to give honor to. And sometimes um, there are times where there are boundaries that need to be put into place because there are toxic relationships. And uh, we are called more to peace than we are to, um, to the abuse. And so, um, to honor sometimes is to um, is to let be, to uh, to have healthy boundaries. Um, it is according to what God gives you. Is it what is honoring? Just recognizing the fact that they are your parents. Yes. Right. They brought you yeah. into the 
uh, and recognize and give them that respect. And beyond that, it could be a whole bunch of different things. But oh, yeah. Definitely. Because, unfortunately, not all parents were. <laughs> Thanks, God. All right. Uh, so we were just talking about the, the thick mountain, uh, the thick cloud, and the thundering. There is another place in Scripture. There's actually two. And they're repeats of one another. They're the same thing going on, but it's so important that it's repeated. So that's kind of cool. And so you find it in Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22. Both of them, it's David, and he is um, giving the psalm, but it's about when uh, Saul is coming after him, and all of his enemies are coming after him. And, and so he's, it's his prayer to the Lord and how God shows up for him. You know, and so... Look at the imagery of how God defends him and his strength. He is coming in strength. Because God doesn't always come in strength, does he? There are lots of times where he'll come in whatever way needs to be done at the time. You know, think of different forms like the burning bush. Well, he didn't come like this big wool to Moses at that time because that would have terrified him, right? No, he came as a fire, you know, to Abraham. He did the same thing. He was a burning torch in the smoking oven when he covenanted with Abram uh, that he was going to make his descendants like the stars in the sky, right? Um, most of the time, he shows up like a man. And, and it's simple. Um, but here, oh, no. He is coming in power. So it says, the ropes of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol, or death, or the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, and fire from his mouth was devouring. Coals burned from it. He also bowed the heavens, or bowed the heavens down low, and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. And he sped on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. And he's talking about David's enemies at the time. And lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the earth were exposed by your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. 
He sent from on high. He took me and he drew me out of many waters. He saved me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into an open place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has repaid me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from my wrongdoing. Therefore, the Lord has repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his eyes. And I love that picture. God is not angry when meeting with Moses, but the description of his presence is the same. He is all-powerful, but wants a personal relationship with you. Wow. Do you think that psalm was written before Bathsheba? I think so. <laughs> but at the same time, okay, was he totally blameless? No. <laughs> but you know what? He had been with God. And God had set him free. And he had offered his sacrifices. And so he was clean before the Lord. Right? And you know what? Okay. Are we like this? I know Bill Johnson, he said something. And ever since then, I've been like, I so get that. What he said is, I can't afford to have a thought in my head that is not in God's. You know what? When we ask forgiveness, what does God do with it? Yeah, he takes it away. It says he puts it, uh, he, he remembers it no more in Hebrews. In Psalm 103, it says it's, he, he takes it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it again. That Psalm 103 is one of those places. Um, Hebrews, uh, you could Google, uh, yeah, where it talks about um, that he forgets our sin and he remembers it no more. There are several places. And so if he doesn't remember our sin, and, and I keep getting it brought back up to me, it's not coming from God, right? Because God does not do that. And, and even when it is a conviction, there, when God convicts, there is an element to it of forgiveness. You can be forgiven from this. Just come to me. But when, when the enemy is bringing it to you, it's a shame. It's a guilt. It's a heaping things on you, and you can never be free. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one. But, um, yeah. If God wants to forget it, don't you think he wants us to forget it? Yeah. And I remember. On it, it's probably not good. No, I remember hearing somewhere where uh, it was talking about um, that sin, we are not, so it's not our life sentence. You know? It is something that we can be, it just, be forgiven and go on. But don't keep living in it. Yeah. Sometimes I 
hard. It is hard. Forgive ourselves. Yes, we do have to forgive ourselves. Make sure we're right. Is what God told me last Correct me, but then when I continue reading, I just So, let's go to Exodus 20, 22 through uh, 26. Covenant requirement for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. You saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. Build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings your sheep and goat and your cattle. Build an, build my altar whenever I cause my name to be remembered. Build my altar whenever I cause my name to be remembered. And I will come to you and bless you. If you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool, for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. And do not approach my altar by going up steps. If you do, someone may look up your, up under your clothing and see your nakedness. You know, he's so specific. He's always thinking. He's always thinking. Never miss it. But I love that. Yeah. Okay. So the second commandment was to not make any image of God to be worshipped. He repeats that here in verse 23. It was a common practice of the pagan nations around them to carve small images to depict their different deities. Uh, they knew the small idols were not these gods, but were mere representations. Some had thought the golden calf was that for the Israelites and their god. Others believed they were reverting back to religious practices of worshiping the Egyptian Apis god. Nonetheless, God does not need an image to represent him. As we have seen at different points, he can take on whatever form he needs to for the needs that, of those that are, he's helping. Uh, we've seen him come to his people as the fire of the burning bush, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night in Genesis 15, 17 as a burning torch and a smoking oven, making covenant with Abram, but most often as a man. To confine God to an image would grossly misrepresent him. He cannot be cast into a single or even multiple molds. He is infinitely greater than that. At the same time, God gives very clear and practical instructions on how the Israelites were to build their altars to him. Again, he is making sure he can come near to them, um, which is his heart's desire. <laughs> Sometimes things have to always get taken out. <laughs> We get it, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go to Exodus 23, um, 20 through 33. Right. Exodus 23, uh, verses 20 through 33. 23. Mm -hmm. 20 through 
233. See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hivites, and the Jewites. So you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. You must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. There will be no miscarriages or infertility in, the, in your land, and I will give you long, full life. I will send my terror ahead of you and create panic among all the peoples whose land you invade. I will, make, I will make all your enemies turn and run. I will send terror ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. But I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land will become desolate and the wild animals will multiply and threaten. I'll drive them out a little at a time until your population has increased enough to take possession of the land. Then I will fix your boundaries from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean and from the east, eastern wilderness to the Euphrates River. I'll hand over to you the people now living in the land, and you will drive them out ahead of you. Make no treaties with them or their gods. They must not live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against them. If you serve their gods, you will be caught in the trap of idolatry. Then the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to... Oh, oh sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why did you skip Oh, because it's really just small. Oh. And so we were just kind of, we were trying to keep more with the story rather than uh, all the different laws. Okay. Yeah, that's why. Get over to you. Well, I mean, you you can go back and read them, you know, and, and that would be fine. I didn't know if you were going to go back. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was over here with like, I missed something. No, no. That, that's why I skipped that, though. Um. Uh, Look at verses 29 and 30, because those actually are pretty huge. So look at it again. Okay, this is New King James. It says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. That is exactly Adam and Eve when they were in Eden. They were supposed to take over the world, them and their descendants, because that's what being fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth and rule over it means. Yeah. And uh, they didn't. But this was the plan. Right. And so he started in, in the just the garden because they could they could rule over that. That was attainable. And see, that's the beautiful thing about God, too. He's not going to give you something that you can't handle. Now, it may look like something that you can't handle. You may think, oh, I can't do that, you know? Well, no, you can't on your own. But that's in him and with him. To yourself. 
That's huh? <laughs> something you have to say many, many times out loud. Yes, but you know what the thing is though is because he is empowering. Um, it could be that he is bringing other people with you. It could be that he is giving you special equipping. Whatever it is, he is going to help you in whatever his instructions are as you go along. And and I love, that's one of the things that Jesus says over and over and over to the people. And as you go, you know, he would be equipping. He would be doing. Um, because we don't have to know what all is going to happen ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Praise God we don't. Most of the time we would be like, uh-uh. Do you think Moses would have agreed to all that if he'd have known ahead of time? <laughs> he didn't agree to it initially. He didn't, did he? He sure wouldn't have if he'd known all that. <laughs> I think it's so neat that God took the time to explain to them why he wasn't doing, driving them out immediately, and yes, why he wanted he really them to do like this and that. Right. Or try to run ahead of him. Right. But he didn't want them to. We can learn from that. Are these <laughs> boundaries? Is this where Israel is now? That is, no. No? No. They still are out there. Oh. Because the boundaries that he is describing there, the uh, from the Red Sea, to the Mediterranean, they do have that. Yeah. Okay. And then Philistia is the Gaza Strip still today. That is what that is. Is that the eastern wilderness? Uh, if you're looking on a map, the Gaza Strip is right here. So they do have that. That's the Mediterranean. And so then they're supposed to have all the way over here to the Euphrates River. Uh, that is the whole Middle East. And where where that is in modern day on the map is Iraq. The Euphrates River is there. So they do not have that yet. Well, no, they they have not had that. Um, honestly, they have never had that yet. They have never had the Euphrates River. Yeah. Some of the lights. Yeah, well, they, they never have had that, but, but yeah, but the thing is, is will they have it one day? Yes, and so God being outside of time, he's not worried about, okay, from the beginning they didn't have it, or from even in 1948 they didn't have it, uh, in 2024 they don't have it, um, because by the end they will, and he's looking for that. Because he knows. And that's part of why all those other surrounding countries hate them. Yeah. The enemy knows it too, because he's already put the boundary markings down. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the angel of the Lord is opening the way before them, causing their enemies to fear them because his blessing is with them. They are to go into their promised land and take possession of it immediately. It wasn't supposed to take 40 years. God tells them not to join in with the customs of the people groups they overtake. He has set them apart to be uh, to himself, to be his, giving them an understanding of what it takes for him to come near to them. He doesn't want them to be corrupted like all the cultures surrounding them. Following other gods would indeed prove to be a snare to them. And again, and then keep going. It's keeping going. Yeah, most definitely. 
All right. So, all right. So let's go to. It's one thing about having all these papers every which way. <laughs> skipping again because we're, we're going with the story is what we're trying to do to Exodus 24 1 through 8 then the Lord instructed Moses come up here to me I've met before and bring along Aaron Nate Nadab uh -huh. Abahu Abahu <laughs> <laughs> And seventy of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. And Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions, the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, "We will do everything the Lord has commanded." Did we just hear that? Yeah. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instruction. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars. From That's the what's still there. The 12 pillars. One for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half of the blood from the animals into basins. He's acting as priesthood. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and battered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. All right. So they are saying yes to the words of God. And then he is covering them with blood. Literally. He is sprinkling them with blood from the sacrifice. We kind of are like, oh, that's kind of barbaric, right? But you know what? We want to be literally covered by the blood. And we are. It's a different way. But yes. So Moses read the law to the Israelites. So they all heard it. They agreed to it, and Moses sprinkled blood of an innocent sacrifice on the people. They were acting out the stipulations of covenant. In this moment, the nation of Israel accepted the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their God. God is still keeping that covenant, and he always will. I think you said at one point, it, it wasn't tonight, but earlier, that um, anytime there's covenant, there has to be blood. Because covenant is cut. If you look at the word in Hebrew, it means to cut. Uh, and, and so you can't just enter into covenant and it not be uh, with blood. Yeah. And actually, it was even life blood. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was because there was a death. When Jesus instituted the last covenant at the Last Supper, he gave his disciples unleavened bread and wine as his sacrificed body and blood. He would pour out for them the following day. They were his first fruits offering to the Lord. 
blood always represents life in the Bible. Notice Jesus' words in Matthew 26, 28, when he offered the wine, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I like this, in Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's what it took. Then Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. That's repeated so often when communion is served. You've heard this and heard this and heard this. Uh, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance for me. In the, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. So we know that that's the cup of redemption, right? Where I will um, save you or deliver you with outstretched arms, right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So same thing. Except it's just the two covenant things. We all got pee now. Let's try to do it quick. <laughs> um, so Jesus fulfilled Moses' covenant he made with the Israelites for all people, all who receive him as their own. He was the perfect sacrifice who died on their behalf so we could come near God. Ephesians 2 18 and 19. From the Passion Translation says this, And now because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of Holy Spirit to come before the Father. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all rights as family members of the household of God. And I love that picture because it's the veil is torn. It is no longer there. We don't have a barrier between us and God. Jesus took it down. Yes. And so this seconds that. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, boldly and without hesitation. For he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. And since we now have a magnificent high priest to welcome us into God's house, we come closer to God and approach him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity, and we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, unstained, and presentable to God inside and out. That's Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Now, do you know what's so cool about that is it's foreshadowed in Moses too. So right after the covenant was given, it, the same thing is going on. I'll show you when I get to there, okay? Because it's kind of cool. Moses was the mediator between God and the people of Israel, bringing the covenant between the two. It was imperfect, but it would suffice until Jesus came to fulfill it. It was acceptable to God. We know that because of what we see immediately following it. It was customary for the people entering into a covenant to have a meal afterward to celebrate. The closest semblance we have in our society of a covenant ceremony is a wedding. So this would be like the reception afterward. 
Okay, so Moses had just sprinkled the blood on the people, right? And they had agreed to the covenant. So it's it's like a betrothal. It's like a wedding where the bride and the groom, and they have uh, said, we're making this covenant, right? Blood has been done. Now, check out what happens. Uh, okay, I'll go this first. Then I'll get to it. <laughs> I don't remember what's there. So, wow, can you imagine the magnitude of being within the midst of God's presence, visiting with him? With him. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> wow, gotcha. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> to get an even better understanding of this, let's look at the Hebrew word found here with its meaning. Glory is kavod. Okay. This is the worst thing. I know. That's how we remember kavod. Graceful for what it is, but we remember it that way. Okay, all right. How do you spell commode? <laughs> commode. You go. Okay, so commode. Glory is commode, and it is the weighty splendor, the honor, dignity, and reverence that emits from God's person. Kavod is a divine attribute of God. It is him, and it can't help but come from him. Kavod comes from the root word kavod, meaning to be heavy, weighty, to honor, and be wealthy. When we get into the glorious presence of God, many describe it as heavy or weighty, which is precisely how it's described here. What a glorious time Moses must have had. The thing is, now, because of what Jesus did for us in making the new covenant, the same is available to you. As you learn to steward his presence, letting your faith and spirit muscle grow in him, then you will experience more and more of God's kavod, glory. That's what it talks about, how we go from glory to glory. Amen? Um, and so what he did for Moses, he will do for you. Press into him and see what he can do. Did I not put it in there? Ah, I didn't. Okay, you know what? We got to do that. <laughs> so let's go ahead and go there. Um, yeah, funny. <laughs> I was I was like cutting and pasting today. Okay, and so ah, uh, that's why I'm gonna find it. <laughs> so good. Okay, here we are. Okay, look. You know, we just read Exodus 24, 1 through 8, right? Okay, and that's where he's sprinkling the, the blood on the people. Okay, look at uh, 24, 9 through uh, 9 through 18. Exodus 24, 9 through 18. Because we can't not do this. This is where I put that in there. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a... Sorry, I can't read. <laughs> there they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And through these nobles of 
And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone, on which I have inscribed instructions and commands, so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out, and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Moses told the elders, Stay here and wait for us until we come back. Aaron and her are here with you. If anyone has a dispute while I'm gone, consult with them. Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. And Moses appeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so I got ahead of myself. This was weird. <laughs> anyway, imagine that. Uh, <laughs> well, I was wondering but, why he was like, huh? There's going to be a dispute. Yeah. How long is he going to be gone? 40 days and 40 <laughs> nights. Okay, look at 9 through 11, because this is huge. They just got the sprinkling of the blood on them, right? And then it says, then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Stop. That is the um, forerunner of the Sanhedrin. That's why the Sanhedrin was 70. And then plus the high priest is because of the 70 elders of Israel. That's what started the Sanhedrin. And then the 71st was the high priest who was Aaron here. So that's where that came from. And then look at the next verse. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. So they saw who they covenanted with. I mean, it's very clear. They saw him. And, and they saw him in heaven with his uh, feet on uh, the sapphire stone. We see that in the book of Revelation as the sea of glass. Does that, does that mean the throne room? In the throne room, yeah. So they're having a heaven open to them and they're seeing him. You know? And it doesn't talk about they're going to die, but they see him, right? Mm -hmm. um, how many times do people see him? In the Old Testament. Yeah, quite a few. Another one that I can think of just offhand um, is Isaiah chapter 6, where it talks about in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. You know, and the seraphim, only time seraphim were ever mentioned, uh, were there, and they were guarding his presence. But that is, they saw, uh, Isaiah saw heaven. And saw God on the throne. So another that that happened, New Testament, Stephen. Do you remember when Stephen was being stoned? And he saw Jesus stand up, who was at the right hand of the Father, you know, when, as he was about to die. So, I mean, these are things, and a lot of times, I, can, I could keep naming times, but the thing is, is, 
a lot of times they were afraid that they were going to die, you know, because of that. Do you know that that was an understanding long before Moses? Because uh, you find it uh, in in writings uh, in the in the Old Testament before Moses, where they were afraid they were going to die because they had seen him. Yes, uh, and so that there has to be more to that. I was going to say it seems like there's there's more to that. But we, yeah. So anyway, because they had went through covenant and the blood had been sprinkled on them, right after that, like the next verse or two, they're seeing God. Because that's what the blood does for us. That's what covenant does for us. Amen? It lets us, we can near him. That's what it's about. Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and check out our webpage. You can sign up for our newsletter, see any upcoming events, and so much more. Hope you have a great weekend.